Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. We, we, we rejoice when we see the hand of God in such a, a quick and visible way in His rescuing, His saving, His literally bringing back to life, snatching from death. And, and we rejoice. And in each of our lives, we, we have story, maybe different stories, but we have, we have stories, we have, we have experiences with the Lord where we've seen him rescue and save. We also, for many of us, have stories in those times where he chose to rescue us without necessarily writing the same kind of story. Those events and times in our life that break our heart that cause us to grieve and to mourn and to question and to wonder, God, what are you doing? And why are you doing it? I've had a number of those in my life. You have as well. Many of you, if you've lived any length of time, we've lost people that we love. We've had relationships broken and, and just splintered apart and, and nothing we could do, it seemed, to be able to do anything about it. Things that break our heart. The title of the message today are Happy or the Sad. I told you when we started this series that Jesus was going to blow your mind because he does. His kingdom is not like this kingdom. The way he thinks and the way and and what he says reality is is very different than what we think is reality. And it's that's probably not seen any more clearly than in this particular beatitude. But the scripture says, Blessed or blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be, they will be comforted. They shall be. As we get into this today. I've realized, in fact, I told Lori this, this week, I said, you know, I could come back six months from now and preach the Sermon on the Mount again, and it would be a totally different series. Because there are so many different directions that the Lord could, we could go with each one of these messages. And so each week it's crying out, Lord, what do you want to say to us, to me, to us? What is the message today in all of this? Because it could go in a hundred different directions. And this is what I felt like the Lord said for today, is that, he said, Troy, I want you to come against imbalance when it comes to this area of mourning and sadness and grief. I want you to come against the imbalance that we see in our culture today. I think there are, we tend to run to one extreme or the other, and what I want to do today is to show you those two extremes and then show you what Jesus actually said. The first extreme is, and you need to understand this, is that it is a normal, expected part of kingdom living to have mourning and grief. That is a normal, expected part of kingdom living. Now, there, are, there, there is teaching, and there are teachers who would say, if you're walking the kingdom life, if you're following Jesus, if you are walking according to his will, 
then you're experiencing blessing and you're experiencing joy and peace and all the things that he promised us and that if you're experiencing something else, then you're probably doing something wrong or you're not believing enough, you're not walking in enough faith. You, you're just, there's a victory there, you just haven't claimed it yet. And I want to come against that imbalance of teaching. All right? Because the reality is, in our life, there can be times where we're not believing correctly and God wants to change. In fact, we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning with morning. We, there are times where he wants to change the way we think. The Bible calls that repentance, where he literally changes the way we think. So sometimes we are thinking wrong. Sometimes there is a victory that we need to claim that we are not claiming. There's a victory that he wants to give. But even if you claim the victory, every victory that he has for you, and you, and, and, he, and you respond every time he wants to change your thought, you will still have times and seasons in your life where you mourn and grieve. You're supposed to. And this isn't just, there are about eight different Greek words used for the idea of sadness, mourning, grieving. About eight different ones. This one is the most intense, the one that Jesus chose here. This is the kind of mourning that you experience when you've lost a loved one. This is the kind of mourning that you experience when your heart just feels like it's ripped out. And, and there, there are tears and there's agony and there's anguish in this. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 6, you have a picture of this. If you look back to Psalm 6, verse 6, David is talking about how that he cried so much that his bed was wet with tears. And that his couch, I mean, literally, he, he soaked the place where he was laying. He soaked it with tears. This is the idea of mourning that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5, is that this, this just unbelievable, unbelievable anguish and often produces tears. It produces just anguish. It is a normal and should be expected part of kingdom living and walking with Jesus that you're going to have times and seasons in your life where you mourn. If you... And, and here's part of our problem in our culture is that we almost see this as something that has to be fixed. So we will stop more. I'm that way. Anybody in my house starts crying, my first response is, cut it out, stop crying. You know, no crying. This is a cry-free zone, no crying. And we, we don't want tears. We want whatever it is, let's fix it, let's change it. No crying. Jesus says, no, there are times and seasons, there are reasons where he's going to call you and me to mourn and to grieve and to shed tears. He's going to break our hearts. Do you remember when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and he looks out over the city and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you like a mother hen does her chicks, but you wouldn't have any part of it. And you can, you can hear the anguish. You can hear the, the moan, the, 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 the tears, if you will, as he's crying out over the condition of his people and their rejection of him. There are appropriate seasons where you mourn and you grieve. You need to understand that. If you believe a theology that says there are never those times and in a victorious Christian's life, you don't experience those, you'll get tripped up because it's not true. Here's the other side though. Here's the other balance. Mourning and grieving should not be the characteristic of your life all the time. You should not be mourning continuously. It should not be a continual state of sadness. You say, how do you know that? Because Matthew 5 says so. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be. They shall be. They will be. It's emphatic here. They will be comforted. They will be comforted. The word comforted here, and by the way, the, the, the word they there in the Greek literally means they and they alone. They and they alone. The only ones who receive comfort are those who mourn. They're the ones who receive comfort. There's something interesting about these first two Beatitudes because both of them are, they have a specific application towards salvation. We don't come to Jesus in salvation unless we're first poor in spirit, where we're humble, where we're beggars, where we recognize we're in desperate need and we have no hope of helping ourselves. You can't come to Jesus unless you're poor in spirit. All right? So it has a direct application to salvation. It also has a direct application to our sanctification, the ongoing work of God in our life. So does mourning. Mourning is also connected with our salvation, with our conversion, but it has a direct application as well to our sanctification, this ongoing work that God does in our life, that there are seasons where we mourn. But he says, when you mourn, you can count on this, that you will be comforted. The word comforted there is parakaleo. Some of you who've been in church a while, you recognize that. Paraclete. What's the paraclete? Paraclete is the Holy Spirit. He's the comforter. All right? Parakaleo literally means one called alongside. Elizabeth and I were watching a movie recently about the tsunami that happened in 2004. And um, one of the things that stood out to me as we were watching through this movie is how many times someone would find another individual in desperate need. They were crying out. They, were, they had just incredible need. And they came alongside and said, hey, I'll help you. I'll help you. And, and that happened a number of times in the movie. And every time I saw it, I thought, that's parakaleo. That's exactly what this word's talking about. It is you and I calling out in our mourning, in our grief, in our anguish. We're calling out. And the Lord says, not only is the Holy Spirit in you, but I, it's like you're calling him alongside of you as well. He's in you, working in you. He comes alongside. He's surrounding you. He's carrying you. He's pouring into you. He's doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. That's parakaleo. He says, when you mourn, you will be. It's a guarantee. You will be comforted. You say, well, Troy, I've known times where I was mourning and I didn't feel like I had comfort. Or other people who seem to mourn and never get comforted. We're going to talk about that in a minute. We have to talk about the right kind of mourning. Because again, we have the idea, first and foremost, that we shouldn't mourn at all. We should never be sad or unhappy. That's not biblical. On the other hand, neither is it biblical for us to walk around in a continual state of sadness and unhappiness. All right, that, because the Lord wants to give comfort. So what is mourning? What is biblical sadness? What is mourning that Jesus is talking about here? What is it supposed to look like in our life? Mourning, biblical sorrow, always leads you to a specific place. Mourning or biblical sorrow always leads you to a specific place. In other words, sorrow, the way God intended it, leads you somewhere. It doesn't just leave you drowning. It doesn't leave you in the mess with no hope. Biblical mourning and sorrow lead you to a specific place. There's a poem that was written, and I want you to see it if, if it's working. There, yeah. 
I like this poem because it, it, it kind of describes joy and, and, and sadness and sorrow as a journey, and I think it really is a journey. It says, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile, the next part says, I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Now, Robert Browning, who, Hamilton, who wrote this, probably would not appreciate me taking license with his poem, but if I were writing this, I would change this last paragraph, all right? I would rewrite it, because there's a lot of truth in this poem, but I think there's even more truth if you change the last part. Instead of, I walked a mile with sorrow, literally, I, I walked a mile with the man of sorrows. And, and silence is what it seemed to me. But oh, the things I learned from him when the man of sorrows walked with me. Here's the thing. Sorrow, godly sorrow, mourning, is designed, its very specific purpose is to lead you to the man of sorrows. Always, every time. I have people ask me often when, when going through really difficult and, and bad stuff, Troy, why? Why is God doing this? Why is he allowing this? Why doesn't he change this? Why do we have to, why does it have to be this way? Even if we understand intellectually that life has good and bad in it, even if we understand that there's sorrow and joy, that there's there's grief and there is elation. There's all of this that goes on in our life. We often ask this question, why? Why? I was reading an article by John Bloom, and John Bloom asked a series of questions in this article because he was talking about when God seems silent. So he asked a series of questions, and it really, it really helped me because instead of trying to answer the why, God, are you doing this, he simply asked a series of why questions of his own. One of those questions was, why is it that absence makes the heart grow fonder, but familiarity breeds contempt. Never thought about that. It is true, we know it to be true, right? That absence does make the heart grow fonder, but sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. Why is it that water is never more refreshing than when we're super thirsty? Why is it that often the, the best character is produced in us when we go through hardship, sadness, and adversity. And yet when we go through a time of plenty and a time of, of peace and rest, that often it produces the worst character in us. Do you know what he's saying in all of this and these questions that he's asking? That there's a design to sorrow there's a design that God has in it because it produces in you and me and it propels you and me to a place we would not go otherwise. It takes us there if we allow it, if we'll walk with the man of sorrows, if I'll walk with him in all of this. See, the place that sorrow takes you, the place that grief or mourning takes you, is it always takes you to Jesus. I want you to look at some passages with me. I'm going to show you because you'll see this connected in the New Testament. Look at the first one with me. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 
2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. This is his second letter. His first letter, he was pretty rough on them. Um, he was correcting some things that was going on there. This is his second letter, and he's responding to some of that. And he says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. He sounds kind of double-minded there, doesn't he? I, I don't regret it because it was for your good. It's like a parent, you know? I don't really want to discipline you, but I really do want to discipline you because I know it's good for you, but it's hard for me. I don't want to do this. I remember my dad used to do that when he spanked me. He'd go, this hurts me more than it does you, son. i said, well, let's turn this thing around and see if that's actually true, <laughs> you know, because I don't believe that. Now that I'm a parent, I understand. It does hurt you more than it does them. Their hurt lasts just for a moment. Yours is much deeper. He says, I, I, I grieve with my letter. I, I made you grieve with my letter. I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while, just a little bit of time. And the next verse, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. See, the sorrow's leading somewhere. It's taking you somewhere. It's accomplishing something. What is it accomplishing? And you need to see this. This is God's purpose. He lays out for sorrow and grieving. The first purpose for sorrow, grieving, for mourning in our life, the reason God allows it to come, the first thing he does is there are things about the way you and I think that he wants to change. That there is a grieving that comes, and in that, he begins to, because that's what repenting literally is. It is metanoia. It is a change of mind. It is thinking in a new way. Lord, I thought this was true. Now you have revealed truth, your truth to me, and I realize that wasn't truth. And so I turn from what I thought was truth to what you say is truth. The process of grieving, the process of mourning is designed so that you and I will think in a new way. Look, I want you to stop with me for a minute. Think about a time in your life where you have grieved strongly, deeply over something. As you look back on it, can you see, can the Holy Spirit bring to your mind right now ways that God changed your thinking because of what you walked through and what he revealed to you and what he did for you? Now, if you say yes, you understand, you begin to experience the purpose of biblical grieving or mourning. Sometimes we say no, and I think that's because we're still looking at mourning or grieving from a worldly viewpoint, from an earthly viewpoint. And God says, I want to do more. I want to change more in you. I want to show you and reveal more to you. He goes, he said, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into rep repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. This is an interesting thing that he says, even though you have lost, you suffered no loss through us. It's a different way of thinking here. Look at the next verse with me, verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance, change of thinking, a revelation of truth that causes me to think and respond in a new way that leads to salvation. Now, if we read this, if we're not careful, we will read this with one in one way getting saved conversion okay so there is there is sorrow that brings you to conversion but that's not what he's saying here because again he's writing to the church at corinth he's writing to believers 
He's saying as believers, there's a godly sorrow that comes into your life. And why does it come? It comes to change the way you think for the ongoing salvation in your life. We are saved once for all at conversion when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell in us. But this salvation process, this sanctifying process of the Holy Spirit in us is an ongoing work. We, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will ultimately be saved. Do you understand that? The salvation really is three, three, threefold. We have been, once for all. We are being, we will be. And he's saying salvation, let me say it a different way. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to the Savior. We see salvation. We see the result. But if we take the noun, if we put the noun there, godly sorrow leads to repentance, bringing you to the Savior. Always bringing you back to Jesus. Without regret. Can I ask you something? And you don't have to raise your hand on this. Just think about it. Is there anybody in this room where you, you're convinced that you have been born again? That the Holy Spirit resides in you? There's no doubt in your mind that that is true. And you've walked with Jesus for any period of time, whatever that period might be, and you've experienced some bad stuff. But if I were to come to you right now, just the two of us talking, and I'd say, if you could do it all over again and not receive Jesus... Would you do it? Would you do it? In other words, let me say it a different way. The way Paul said it, do you regret receiving Jesus? Do you regret coming to the Savior? See, I've never talked to anyone, never. In the worst places of our life, we may regret what we're going through. We may wish we could change our situation, but I've never met anyone, not one yet, who knows Jesus, who says, I regret I regret coming to Jesus. I regret knowing him. He says, you come to salvation, it's without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. There are two different kinds of grief. There are two different kinds of sorrow. We, and we are in a sad nation right now. There is a lot of sadness, a lot of grief, a lot of sorrow, a lot of doom and gloom. And, and I'm not denying, I'm, I'm not looking just through rose-colored glasses. There are bad things that are happening and have happened and will happen in our country and in our lives. But worldly grief leads to death. There is no salvation in it. There is no hope in it. There is no resolve in it. There is no peace in it. Godly grief leads to repentance, leading to salvation, which is life, which is hope which is everything that Jesus said, I'm going to do in you. Let me show you a different verse. Look at the next one with me, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4 says, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Why is that? Why is it that we don't have a high priest, we don't have a savior? Jesus is who we're talking about here. Why is it that we don't have someone who can't sympathize? In other words, let's say it a different way. We do have someone who can sympathize with us. Why is it that he's able to sympathize with us? Because he's experienced it too. Because he's grieved. He's had sorrow. He has mourned. He has been tempted, the scripture says, in every way that we have yet without sin. He has walked through those things. But one who is in every respect 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Notice what it says in the next verse. Let us then with confidence draw near. I'm going to tell you, you're going to find this anywhere you find in the New Testament where it starts talking about godly grief and it starts talking about Jesus. You're going to see there's a path here. Godly grief, sorrow, mourning is designed for this purpose in your life and in my life so that it would create a path to the Savior. So that we would, draw, we would come with confidence and draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let me show you another passage. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives more grace. Now, before that, it's talking about struggles and trials and things that we go through, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud. Now, we're talking about poor in spirit, right? Remember our first beatitude, poor in spirit? So he gives more grace. He opposes the proud. That's the opposite of poor in spirit. He gives grace to the humble. That's poor in spirit, all right? He gives more grace. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Look at verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Look at the next verse with me. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. See, there's a joy that produces sadness, but there's a sadness that produces joy. The Lord says, if you pursue the way this kingdom operates, this worldly kingdom that we live in, if you pursue the way it operates, looking for joy, always trying to find joy, it will produce sadness and death. If, on the other hand, you'll allow the sadness, the mourning, the, the godly grief that I want to produce in you, if you'll allow it to lead you to me, it produces joy, produces peace, produces rest. It's just the opposite. I'm telling you, his kingdom is nothing like this kingdom. Nothing like it at all. But he has to transform the way we think because we think in this kingdom's terms. We think according to this life. We think that joy brings more joy. That getting what I want is the answer to my happiness. That being able to do life on my own terms is the way to really be fulfilled. He says, none of that's true. None of that's true. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. He will exalt you. Do you see the connection with this between where we are in Matthew 5? Three and four. This humility and this mourning, this path that we're on, and he says this path leads. Do you know what's something that really stood out to me as I was just reading through the Beatitudes again, just all of them together? Every single Beatitude causes me to see myself, to not look at myself, and to look at Jesus. To take my eyes off of me and to see him. Every single one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble. Well, if I'm humble, then I'm taking, if I'm poor in spirit, I'm taking my eyes off me because I'm a beggar. I have no hope in myself. I'm looking to him. I'm dependent upon him. Blessed are those who mourn. What do I do when I'm mourning? I am allowing that grief to take me to him so that I'm not looking at me. I'm not looking at anyone else to fix it for me. I'm looking to him. We get to blessed are the meek. What is meekness? Meekness is a, a yieldedness. It's surrender. Again, taking my eyes off of me and putting them on him. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. I take my eyes off of me. I'm hungry and thirsty for him. Blessed are the merciful. How do I learn mercy? By looking at the one who is merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Well, where do I find an example of purity of heart? In Jesus, who was completely pure. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Or no, blessed are the peacemakers. Well, who's the greatest peacemaker? Jesus. He's the one that we, we can't have peace without him. Blessed are the persecuted. I may have been persecuted a little bit, but when you think of persecution, who has received the most, humanly speaking, who's received the most persecution? Jesus. Do you begin to understand that this whole walk through the Beatitudes, and you're going to see as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, it's a transfer. It is a moving of my focus, my attention, my belief system away from me and to him. I want to ask you a question. I'm going to ask Lori to come play. This is a this is a difficult this is a difficult message to give to you. It's a difficult message to receive because it is so contrary to everything that feels right and true to me. I don't think probably to us. Do you know when my kids were younger? I used to uh, we would drop them off whether they were in the nursery or in the kids ministry or whatever. And, and they do a great job and have for the years. Just done a great job back there with kids, those who serve and minister. Do an awesome job. And they're very creative and they, and they make it an enjoyable experience and a teaching experience for the kids. But for a long time, we'd get the kids, we'd pick them up, and I would ask them, my first question to them was, did you have, you finished the sentence, fun. Did you have fun? What a lousy question. But it reveals my heart. And it reveals the heart of our culture. We are, we are steeped in it and don't even realize it. We're permeated with it, but don't see it. So the only thing that matters is that you had fun. That is the first question. That is the high priority. Did you have fun? What should my question be to my kids? Did you see Jesus today? Did he reveal himself to you in some way? Do you understand a little bit more about who he is than you did before you went in there? Now, by the way, that's happening. That's what the teachers are doing. That's what those who are working on, that's their desire, is that the kids, they would see Jesus. But as a parent, what was I doing? Did you have fun? Folks, this mindset, this bent in our life, it runs deep. It's, it permeates as kids and as adults. And it, age makes no difference. We can be this way when we're 7 or 70, where life is a pursuit of what brings pleasure. What do I think is going to make me happy? Jesus says, I have true happiness for you. 
But part of that true happiness is mourning. It's a mourning over the things that I want you to mourn over. It's allowing me to show you what you wouldn't see otherwise. So here's my question for you. You thought I forgot, didn't you? No. Here's the question. When you mourn, when you're sad, when you grieve, do you grieve because of what you lost that you think you need to be happy? Or do you grieve because you didn't believe Jesus? I'm going to say it again. Do you grieve because of what you lost or think you've lost that you need to make you happy? Or do you grieve because you didn't believe Jesus? When I look at Jesus grieving in the New Testament, I can't find a time where he wasn't grieving because people didn't believe him. They didn't believe. Paul, if you read in, in his epistles, he grieved at times. But you look at it, he was grieving because of those who didn't believe. I find as I'm getting older that the Lord seems to be causing me, my heart to be broken and to grieve more over just not believing. Not because of what I've lost or what I think I've lost. Not because of discomfort or inconvenience. But because I didn't believe. I didn't believe. So I'm going to ask you this morning. When you grieve and when you sorrow, does it lead you to Jesus, to a place where you can hear differently and believe differently? Or is it simply about what you've lost that you think you need that makes you happy? This is a, way, a different way of living, is a different way of thinking. And it's vital. It's vital for you, it's vital for me. It's not easy. But I'll tell you what it'll do. The more I let Jesus do this in me, there's not much that happens to me that causes me to grieve and to be sad. It's more about what I see happening around me that causes me to grieve and be sad. Do you understand what I mean by that? I'm grieved and sad often at what I see happening around me or what I see in other people's lives when, when they're struggling to be able to believe. That makes me sad. When in my own life I am struggling to believe, that makes me sad. But stuff that happens to me doesn't seem to have as much impact anymore. It does still has some. I'd be lying to say it didn't. But not the same hold. This is what Jesus meant when he says, the goal, true happiness. I'm going to show you how my kingdom produces true happiness from within that is trans-circumstantial. Don't forget that. As we go through this whole series, don't forget that. True happiness is trans-circumstantial. True happiness is trans-circumstantial. It means I can have it no matter what's going on in my life. 
It's available. That's what he offers to you and to me. By the way, it starts by having a relationship with Jesus. None of this is available to you if, if Jesus hasn't changed you and saved you. If, he, if his Holy Spirit's not living within you, you can't live this way. It's impossible. It's pretty difficult to live this way if he has saved you. But it's impossible if he hasn't. That's the place you start. I want you to bow your heads with me. I want to pray for you this morning, if you'll let me. Is the Holy Spirit stirring something in you this morning? It's like, you know, I want to have godly sorrow. I want to have grief and mourning that leads me to Jesus, that changes the way I think, that causes me to experience true happiness that is trans-circumstantial. It's not dependent upon what's going on around me. That's, that's where we're going. I'm not there. By the way, I'm not there either. So we can acknowledge none of us are there. But there's a stirring of God's spirit within me that says, yes, this is right. This is true. And I want to walk this way. If that's your desire this morning, would you just lift your hand up and then put it down? Because I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for me too. But just lift it up and put it down. There's quite a few hands. Just lift it up and put it down. Thank you. Lift them up and put them down. Yeah. Lord, I pray for each one. Each one who lifted their hand. And Lord, I lift my hand with them. Lord, it's scary to think about living this way because it seems like that if we, if we say yes to this, if we just, we just believe you in this way, that life is going to be miserable. That it's literally you're going to suck all the joy and the fun out of life. And Lord, that's, that's what the enemy tells us. That's what our heart tends to believe. That's going to be awful. That you're going to, you're going to send us to the last place we want to go and the worst place in the world and and Lord, every bad thing that we can imagine, that's what you're going to do. Lord, first of all, the enemy lies to us that way. And, and the reason we think that way is because we don't really know you. We don't understand who you are. We don't understand yet that in your kingdom, it's not about where I am or what I have, but who I'm with. And that when I'm with you, it doesn't matter where I am or what I have. But Lord, that's a, that's a rarity often in our life to experience that. So Lord, we're asking for more of it today. We're asking for that. I'm asking for it. I'm asking it for each one who raised their hand. And even for those who didn't. I'm praying for those who are struggling and are just scared. Like, no, I don't. I want to go to heaven. I want, to, I want the benefits of Christianity. 
but I don't want exactly what you just described. I get that, Lord, and I pray specifically for them today. I pray too, Lord, that you would do such a a revelation by your spirit that we would recognize the truth and reject the lie. Because the lie is confirmed all around us. It's, It's reinforced all around us every day. Lord, we need the truth. We need it. Lord, would you give testimony? Would you cause in each of us to be able to testify to the truth of what you promise and what you say? That you really do produce a joy and a peace and a rest, a happiness that's, that's deep within, that's beyond anything we've ever known. And that it is dependent upon only one thing, and that is you and your presence. And Lord Jesus, if there's somebody here today and they don't know you, they haven't started this journey with you, would you draw them by your spirit today? May today be the day of salvation, the day they start this path, the day they join in this journey. And Lord, I pray in a special way today for those who are grieving They're mourning, their heart is heavy, and they're sorrowing. I pray for them today, Lord, godly sorrow. I pray for them, Lord, a grief that is from you, and Lord, that that, that allows comfort to come. As a matter of fact, Lord, they experience your comfort as only you can give it. Jesus and thank you that you have a better way and that you reveal your better way and give us desire for it more than anything else to walk this path and to walk this journey and I pray this in your name Jesus In just a moment, we're going to dismiss. I'm going to ask my prayer partners to come to the front. We always have prayer partners here, and they're here for that reason, to pray. Anything that's going on in your life, doesn't matter what it is. They'll pray with you. They'll talk to you. If you have questions about something, they'll pray with you about that as well. Whatever's going on, I want you to stand with me. I know what the clock says, what time it is, but I also have this sense that God is still doing something, and that he's at work. So can I challenge you with something? Let him, let him have his way. Let him do his work, whatever that means for you this morning. Don't reject it. Don't resist it. Just receive it. Receive what he wants to do. 
Don't feel like you have to run or rush. Let God do what he wants to do. Lord, I pray that because I do have this sense this morning that there's more you want to do and more you want to say. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. And I pray this in Jesus' name.